some of the first companies that we invested in the first vehicle with 500 in, in 2012, now seeing some unicorns reaching a thousand employees, having huge impact in the region. Happy birthday, 500 LATAM. 10 years ago, 500 Global Managing Partner Santiago Zavala joined 500 Global to invest in Latin America's most promising companies out of Mexico City. He has since made more than 250 early stage investments across Spanish speaking countries and counts two unicorns in LATAM's portfolio, Clip and Confio. He joins us on Rise of the Next to share stories about his journey and what lies ahead for the startup ecosystem in Latin America. Santiago, 10 years in Latin America, congratulations. How does it feel to hit that milestone? You know, it's, it's very surreal. In many ways, I think that we're just getting started. It, it's been so fast. It, it's crazy to think that, that we've been doing this for 10 years. As an ecosystem and, and as 500, this, these 10 years have been stage one of figuring out what has to be done in the ecosystem. And now it's, it's clear what we have to do. So now it's exciting to actually go and build that. It's been a very, a lot of exploration and learning. That's super. Santiago, why don't we start by asking you actually to tell us the listeners a little bit about yourself and what got you into the VC scene? Absolutely. At heart, I'm a creator. And the way that I was very lucky that very young in my life, I got this introduction to coding and I learned to create and share what I created through the internet. So I started to create my first static HTML pages in 1999. I was 13. 14 and it was super fun and I started to just spend a lot of time with technology and that was all 2000 to 2006 was a very I would say lonely experience where I was just trying to build a community of other people around me I did a couple of different experiments and entrepreneurship related activities and in 2006 2007 I, I traveled to the Bay Area and I went to this amazing hackathon where there were all these people creating things so we decided to bring that same hackathon to Mexico and through all of that we started to see a lot of entrepreneurs trying to go to the Bay Area to try to reach out for angels or funds to invest into them from Mexico so we saw a lot of people from Mexico but we saw People from all over Latin America, there were different programs like Startup Chile that were starting and trying to connect entrepreneurs from Chile and other places to the Bay Area as a community. It was very hard to get people from the U.S. to invest into these startups because they didn't know the industry. They just didn't know how to do a small due diligence. So we started just joking that we should just do it ourselves. And that was when, when David Weekly and, and Cesar, uh, another good friend, Lisa and, and me, we decided to start a fund called Mexican VC. We had never worked at a fund. We had never raised capital. We just knew our community needed this. So we reached out to 500 and they became our first investors in that fund. We ended up getting three other annual investors to participate and we, we launched in 2011. So we, we ended up investing in seven companies one of them is a, it's a very successful fintech company. But it was a really nice experience for us to, to go and work with these companies, understand the purpose of investing, and that generated the relationship originally with 500. And then in 2012, we started to think about the next step, and that's when 500 invited us to think about doing it together. And we joined 500 to do our first Spanish-speaking Latin American fund, which that was exactly now almost 10 years ago. Now, speaking of 500, 500 really is a pioneer in Mexico having launched the first non-Mexican and non-governmental accelerator back in 2012, which is now called Somos Lucha, if I've pronounced that correctly at all. Yeah, Somos Lucha. That's been the magic of 500, I think, from the very beginning, has been seeing that potential that maybe other people maybe don't see. 
And you know, being super honest, I don't even know if we saw it in ourselves. That moment where 500 bet on us on that first vehicle, even before, again, we had no experience. We didn't really know how to do this. I think what they saw was our passion and our clear understanding of the need, right? Because we were part of that, of the community. We were jumpstarting this very grassroots community that was very quickly growing. And we just knew that there was talent and there was opportunity and there was no capital. So I think for us, it was a very easy puzzle to say, okay, let's bring this capital. Let's bring some connections. Let's bring some best practices and things have to happen. And it's crazy now looking 10 years later, seeing some of these uh, companies, one of the, that first portfolio. And then from the first that we invested, some of the first companies that we invested in in the first vehicle with 500 in, in 2012, now seeing some unicorns reaching a thousand employees, having huge impact in the region. Can you name some of these companies? Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at the first fund that we did in 2013, we were very lucky and unfortunate to work with some companies that now are very recognized. So Confio was part of batch four, and now they, they've raised money from a lot of different uh, funds, including Kasek and SoftBank. And they, they became a unicorn, I believe, a year and a half ago. It's a company that does small and medium enterprise credits, and now they have a whole suite of uh, resources for uh, small enterprises in, in Mexico to be more successful. And through this time, they've done 320,000 loans. So it's a very surprising number. We also were part of uh, one of the first rounds of Clip, which is also now a unicorn they are doing payments here in Mexico and it's a very successful company also reaching the thousand employees and then there's other companies like 99 Minutos that there's a great podcast also on Rise, <laughs> on Rise of the Rise Next, of the Next uh, <laughs> yeah with Alexis but 99 Minutos has become one key piece of the infrastructure of the e-commerce in the region, right? So it's been an amazing journey. Now, Santiago, what were some of the challenges you faced back in 2012 when launching all of this? I mean, as, as every ecosystem, I guess, there's a lot of what's happening around you that generates your idea of what's possible and what's impossible. And when we go back to 2012, 2011, there were no startups in Mexico around us. There were maybe two companies that you could maybe say that they were startups, but they were more like media companies. So, so there have been no companies that raised Series A, much less bigger growth rounds and no IPOs, no anything, no exit. So when we were going and trying to do these conversations with potential investors to join what we're doing and support these companies and be part of these, honestly, we didn't have any kind of reaction. It was not that people didn't want to do it. They just didn't even know how to digest this opportunity. So I would say that the doors wouldn't even open to have a conversation or a meeting. There was a lot of time between 2010 and maybe 2015, I guess not just us, but some of the other early funds in the region, we were going through family offices and angel investors or potential angel investors and people who were just discovering these opportunities and just educating about the opportunity. So there was a lot about, hey, look at this other company in this other region doing something like this one here. And, and slowly, some capital started to flow. First, I think we, we saw a lot of people who were going through an MBA in Stanford and learning about venture capital in the Bay Area and then coming back to Mexico and saying, hey, actually, this thing that they're saying was actually something we saw in our classes. And there's actually all these examples and these success stories and everything. And I think having not only the brand of 500, but really the whole DNA of 500 
bringing people constantly here. We're bringing mentors. We're doing demo days. We're slowly making sure that people felt that this was a long-lasting effort that had a lot of structure. I think that started to really generate that inertia. And then there was this stage between 2015 and maybe 2018 when we started to see the first Series A's, the first Series B's. Everything started to accelerate a little bit. There was this feeling of something's going to happen. Some companies were growing. You started to see some companies getting to 50, to 100 employees, to 200 employees. And some of them stumbling a little bit, some of them making some mistakes or all these ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And then boom, 2019 was inflection point. We had SoftBank announce the Latin American fund with $5 billion. Very quickly, we started to see unicorns appear in different countries. Mexico went from zero to six in 2020. It's been really amazing to see how all these efforts actually built up to constantly just surprises of what was next. Would you say that this evolution was just in Mexico or can it be generalized for LATAM as a whole? I think definitely LATAM as a whole. We saw in the ecosystem, we saw Rappi in Colombia become a unicorn very quickly. They expanded to Brazil, they expanded to Mexico. Then we saw Corner Shop from Chile making a really strong impact in the whole region. We've seen companies from Argentina like Mercado Libre even before all of this and Then we've continued to see companies from other places, even some cases going global, like the case of D-Local. So there's been all these things happening for the whole region that have been, in a way, every country has got their flavor and their DNA and maybe specific challenges or strengths. But at the same time, it does feel like a whole region that is just trying to build an entrepreneurship ecosystem for everyone and democratizing opportunities, which is really inspiring. And what do you think is unique about the region? I think the energy of the of the people and and you can see it you can see it in in everything right you can go and and, and experiment food in many places and and you'll find the spices and the flavors and the colors every country has their own little thing and there's a lot of competition around which country has that dish or special flavor you see it in arts and movies and music and now I'm really very excited to see how we bring that to startups, right? And how we bring that to how we use technology to solve some of the unique problems of the region. When you think about WhatsApp has become a unique force in Latin America of connecting and digitalizing people and transforming a lot of businesses. I'm excited to see when you see all that energy from everyone in Latin who has all this creative energy. And it's, just, it's colorful, it's flavorful, and it's going to be amazing to see that in the digital world. So we're, we're seeing that every time that we see new companies grow, they bring that. It sounds like a vibe. Now, Santiago, you mentioned a few notable successes that came out of 500 Latam's portfolio. Now, I'm wondering, do you have some great founder stories that you can share? Very nice story for me has been working with Andres Arrasola. So after we did Super Happy Dev House, which was a hackathon, we started to help organize Startup Weekend, which was starting in the U.S. And we brought it to, to Mexico City. I became a facilitator of that and, and started traveling all across the region. And we went to all these different places that I have never been. And every place that I went to, I found this local ecosystem that was trying to do the same that, that we were doing with the hackathons, just get people together, share and everything. So I had the opportunity in 2012 to go to Medellin and do a startup weekend there. And there was this one very young person who 
was at the event and he had his glasses and they were broken. And I remember him so clearly. He did a great job during the weekend. He was full of energy and he was just trying to do, learn how to do a startup, which was obviously the, the intent of the event. And after the event, he, he kept sending me messages about, hey, I freelance for do these websites. Do you want to invest in this thing? And I was like, well, it's not a company. And then he grew a little bit and, and he started an agency where he was doing software for other companies in, and he had, hey, uh, you want to invest in this? And, and he was asking for advice. Now, that was in 2012. 2016, four years later, he applies with a software to our program. We ended up investing in 2017 and, and became partners with Agenda. And at that time, it was a very simple software for hotels to just manage reservations. It created so quickly during the program. And they ended up finding this model where they can partner with the hotels and, and really bring like a whole operating system to digitalize their offering, to connect them to direct channels and really raise the quality of the experience for the guests. And they've been through a whole process of raising a seat round, a series A, and, and we've continued to work very closely with Agenda. And now we're super proud of, of everything that they've done. I believe they have 400, 500 hotels right now in their chain. They're the biggest hotel chain in Colombia. I think they're almost about to be the, the, the one in Peru. They have hotels in Mexico. So it's interesting because just as we are celebrating 10 years of doing what we do in the region. I'm also celebrating 10 years of experience of knowing Andres and, and having seen it evolve from having learned to do some stuff in YouTube and trying to do his own websites to suddenly leading an industry on how to change. So it's, it's very impressive. Now, Latin America's experienced record funding last year, and funding appears to remain strong in Q1 this year compared to Q1 last year, according to the Association for Private Capital Investment in Latin America. Now, the region is experiencing high levels of inflation. Santiago, what's the outlook for funding this year, especially for early stage? I mean, it's a super good question. When we started, there was very little funding. And through all these years, we've seen how this slowly has grown every year. Last year was crazy. It just was amazing growth. And a lot of people, of course, we see an adjustment right now in the venture capital industry globally caused by many factors. And that is going to have a lot of impact in how we look at companies and how aggressively we want to grow and versus really building a business that is sustainable. And there's all these different conversations. But even with that, I believe that even with the growth of last year, if you look at the percentage of users in the internet coming from Latin America, if you see the, the percentage of the population of the world that is Latin America, we continue to be sub-invested to the global venture capital landscape. So even though the, the industry is definitely changing and we might see a slowdown, the reality is just that the opportunity is so huge in the industry, in, in the region. The entrepreneurs are there and they are building the companies. So I'm sure that we'll continue to find people who want to be part of these stories and participate in the industry. I think especially in the early stage, we'll continue to see a lot of funding. And that's the energy that continues to push the whole different stages as companies get to milestones and they, they get really good stories. So it's definitely going to be a challenging moment for everyone because we have to really bring the best that we can and, and build great companies. But I'm, I'm very bullish that we'll continue to see growth in funding. And especially in the early stage, I think people have finally understood there is this unstoppable energy from entrepreneurs that pair with technology 
can bring better solutions to the market. And that's not going to change, no matter the inflation, no, no matter what happens with the global venture capital industry. So I'm, I'm very bullish. And how are you helping founders during this downturn? The last couple of years have been very, very weird because it really reminds me this uh, opening of a book that says uh, it was the best of time, it was the worst of times. Because with the pandemic, we went through a whole cycle of going through with every company and trying to understand how are your finances looking? How how can we weather the storm? How, how do we adapt to this new reality? And now we're doing that cycle again. And, and luckily, a lot of the companies in the portfolio they've had, I would say, healthy business models and this DNA of funding not being easy to get, that it's been relatively easy to extend runways and try to be less ambitious on growth and try to have paths to profitability. But I think specifically the way that we're helping is being there and trying to have the conversations, trying to bring more a 360 view to their business where we're looking at a portfolio of 250 companies that we invested. Some of them have failed, but let's say 190 companies. So we have a lot of data and sensors around how different industries are feeling that we can just bring that perspective. Sometimes that helps be more pessimistic. Hopefully at some points, it also helps be more optimistic and have more confidence that we are seeing those clients be more digital because of inflation and just any kind of crisis. It brings more sensitivity to prices. Obviously technology brings efficiency, so we should be able to compete with prices and really bring better solutions to the to, to the customers. So, so that's what we're really trying to bring. And are there any trends that excite you going forward? Absolutely. Every couple of years, we, we see a couple of in- industries that start to shift and change and start to get really excited about. And right now, I would say that for me, it's digital health. We started during the pandemic with some investment in, like Therapify and Puramente and Jana that have a lot of mental health as, as a value proposition for the mass market. And we started to see people really opening up to get these um, solutions through apps and remote uh, consultations. And then we've been slowly building a portfolio. And now there are some very interesting companies in portfolio like Clevy doing diabetics uh, tracking. We have uh, Plena, which is specifically for women with a mix uh, online and offline offering. And we're seeing Tammy and Many other companies that we're investing in, what I think it's happening is that consumers now are used to getting value through applications and getting transparency of what's happening. You can imagine people getting used to getting an Uber or getting food through Rappi, and suddenly they go to the digital, uh, to, to the health system, and it's all offline. You have to call someone, and, and you have no idea when something's going to happen, and everything is hard, and you know you suddenly bring a new experience through an app, and the customers are like, yeah. And if we can help with this to build more capacity to the system, I think it's going to have a huge impact for the region. So I'm, I'm really excited about digital health. We're seeing downstream capital also, you know, start to be open to these kind of investments that a couple of years ago we would bring them and they would say, no, it's a too complicated of a process. You need to sell to the hospitals and the government. So it's very exciting. And I think we're going to be doing a lot with that. The one that it's been a little bit harder to tackle, but I'm still... Early, we're early investors, so we have to always be there before everyone else. But definitely, we, we think that the the ag tech industry is, is definitely also going to be, be transformed in the next years in 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 the world and obviously Latin America. So that's another one that we're closely watching. But that a little bit before it happened, I feel it's just about to start happening at the brink of things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Santiago, what's next for Five Hundred Latam? Immediately right now, in this specific moment of time, we are still deploying our third fund. We, we have at least 50 new investments. So, so that's a little bit over a year of us just deploying capital, and we're 100% on that. So we're, we're looking for 
companies for batch 17 right now, and we'll do three more batches of the program. So that's going to be, that's going to take us all the way to 2023. After that, between every fund, we get an opportunity to think, how do we continue to adapt to the region? So it's going to be very interesting to see, as we see this shift in the industry, how do we really rebuild ourselves to the next iteration of what the ecosystem needs? And it's, that's a very exciting moment for us to be because, as I mentioned, I feel like the last 10, 11, 12 years of being in venture have been a lot of exploration. And I feel like we have a really clear idea of what the companies need, specifically in this stage. And now getting a little bit more data of this shift of the, of the industry, it's going to be very exciting to be able to spend that time and really design something for what's, uh, what's needed in this next future. For the current fund that we're deploying, we added the follow-on capacity. So we used to only do first investments. Now we do a first investment, but we can do in some companies a follow-on, which is very exciting for us. And it's been a very interesting way to continue to be more relevant with the companies for longer. And I can definitely see that as a path that we want to continue expanding. And if we can do that, specifically cater for the industry, for the region, and specifically knowing how the, the shift of the industry ends up going, I think it's going to be really exciting. We're going to have to see what the next 10 years hold. <laughs> <laughs> Santiago, thank you very much for your time. It was wonderful to have you on the show. And I really appreciate you coming on. No, no, no. Thank you. This, were, this was super fun. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you subscribe on wherever you're listening to this so you can get notified as soon as new episodes are released. You can listen to this episode on all major podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, as well as our website, The Global VC, which you can access at 500.co. Until then, you can also stay up to date with 500 Global by following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at 500 Global. That's all for me today. I'll catch you all on a future episode of Rise of the Next by 500 Global. This podcast is intended solely for general informational or educational purposes only. Under no circumstances should any content provided as part of or any such programs, services, or events be construed as investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice by 500 Startups Management Company, LLC, or any of its affiliates, 500 Global. Pfeiffer Global makes no representation as to the accuracy or information in this podcast. And while reasonable steps have been taken to ensure that the information herein is accurate and up-to-date, no liability can be accepted for any such error or omissions, and 500 Global accepts no responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on the information in this podcast. Under no circumstances should any information or content in this podcast be considered as an offer to sell or solicitation of interest to purchase any securities advised by 500 Global or any of its affiliates or representatives. Further, no content or information in this podcast is intended as an offer to provide any investment advisory service with regard to securities by 500 Global. Under no circumstances should anything herein be construed as fund marketing materials by prospective investors considering an investment into any 500 Global investment fund. Under no circumstances should any statistics, quotations, or other content be interpreted as testimonials or endorsement of the investment performance of any 500 Global Fund by a prospective investor considering an investment into any 500 Global Fund. 
This podcast may contain forward-looking statements which involve risks and uncertainties, and actual results may differ materially from any expectations, projections, or predictions made or implied in such forward-looking statements. This podcast includes content delivered by an independent third party that is not related to or controlled by 500 Global. All views and opinions represented in the podcast by such third party are their own views and opinions and do not represent those of 500 Global. 500 Global makes no representations as to or guarantees of specific outcomes from attending or relying on the contents of the podcast.